0: Book the fifth, part five of by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the fifth, part five. And where was the subject of their condemnatory opinions all this while? Having secured a room at his inn, he came forth to complete the discovery of his dear mistress's halting place without delay. After one or two inquiries, he ascertained where such a party of English was staying and, arriving at the hotel, knew at once that he had tracked them to earth by seeing the heavier portion of the power luggage confronting him in the hall. He sent up intelligence of his presence, and awaited her reply with a beating heart. In the meanwhile, Dare, descending from his pernicious interview with Paula and the rest, had descried Captain de Stancy in the public drawing-room, and entered to him forthwith. It was while they were here together that Somerset passed the door, and sent up his name to Paula. The incident at the railway station was now reversed, Somerset being the observed of Dare, as Dare had then been the observed of Somerset. Immediately on sight of him, Dare showed real alarm. He had imagined that Somerset would eventually impinge on Paula's route, but he had scarcely expected it yet, and the architect's sudden appearance led Dare to ask himself the ominous question whether Somerset had discovered his telegraphic trick "'and was in the mood for prompt measures. "'There is no more for me to do here,' said the boy hastily to de Stancy. "'Miss Parr does not wish to ask me any more questions. "'I may as well proceed on my way, as you advised.' De Stancy, who had also gazed with dismay at Somerset's passing figure, "'though with dismay of another sort, "'was recalled from his vexation by Dare's remarks, "'and turning upon him, he said sharply, "'Well may you be in such a hurry all of a sudden.' True, I am superfluous now. You have been doing a foolish thing, and you must suffer its inconveniences. Well, I am sorry for one thing. I am sorry I ever owned you, for you are not a lad to my heart. You have disappointed me, disappointed me almost beyond endurance. I have acted according to my illumination. What can you expect of a man born to dishonour? That's mere speciousness. Before you knew anything of me, and while you thought you were the child of poverty on both sides, you were well enough. But ever since you thought you were more than that, you have led a life which is intolerable. What has become of your plan of alliance between the distances and the powers now? The man has gone upstairs who can overthrow it all. If the man had not gone upstairs, you wouldn't have complained of my nature or my plans, said Dare, dryly. If I mistake not, he will come down again with the flea in his ear. "'However I have done, my play is played out. "'All the rest remains with you. "'But, Captain, grant me this. "'If, when I am gone, this difficulty should vanish "'and things should go well with you and your suit should prosper, "'would you think of him, bad as he is, "'who first put you on the track of such happiness "'and let him know it was not done in vain?' "'I will,' said De Stancy. "'Promise me that you will be a better boy.' "'Very well, as soon as ever I can afford it.' Now I am up and away when I have explained to them that I shall not require my room. Dare fetched his bag, touched his hat with his umbrella to the captain, and went out of the hotel archway. The Stancy sat down in the stuffy drawing room and wondered what other ironies time had in store for him. A waiter in the interim had announced Somerset to the group upstairs. Paula started as much as Charlotte at hearing the name. "'and Abner Parr stared at them both. "'If Mr Somerset wishes to see me on business, "'show him in,' said Paula. "'In a few seconds the door was thrown open for Somerset. "'On receipt of the pointed message "'he guessed that a change had come. "'Time, absence, ambition, her uncle's influence, "'and a new wooer, "'seemed to account sufficiently well for that change, "'and he accepted his fate.' But a stoical instinct to show her that he could regard vicissitudes with the equanimity that became a man, a desire to ease her mind of any fear she might entertain that his connection with her past would render him troublesome in future, induced him to accept her permission and see the act to the end. "'How do you do, Mr. Somerset?' said Abner Power, with sardonic geniality. "'He had been far enough about the world not to be greatly concerned at Somerset's apparent failing.' particularly when it helped to reduce him from the rank of lover to his niece to that of professional adviser. Mr. Stancy faltered a welcome, as weak as that of the Maid of Needpath, and Paula said coldly, We are rather surprised to see you. Perhaps there is something urgent at the castle which makes it necessary for you to call? There is something a little urgent, said Somerset slowly, as he approached her. "'And you have judged rightly that it is the cause of my call?' "'He sat down near her chair as he spoke, "'put down his hat, and drew a notebook from his pocket "'with a despairing sang froid that was far more perfect "'than had been Paula's demeanour just before. "'Perhaps you would like to talk over the business with Mr. Somerset alone?' "'murmured Charlotte to Miss Power, hardly knowing what she said. "'Oh, no,' said Paula, "'I think not. "'Is it necessary?' she said, turning to him. Not in the least, replied he, bestowing a penetrating glance upon his questioner's face, which seemed, however, to produce no effect. And, turning towards Charlotte, he added, You will have the goodness, I am sure, Mr. Stancy, to excuse the jargon of professional details. He spread some tracings on the table, and pointed out certain modified features to Paula, commenting, as he went on, and exchanging occasionally a few words on the subject with Mr Abner-Parr by the distant window. In the architectural dialogue over his sketches, Somerset's head and Paula's became unavoidably very close. Temptation was too much for the young man. Under cover of the rustle of the tracings, he murmured, Paula, I could not get here before, in a low voice inaudible to the other two. She did not reply only busying herself the more with the notes and sketches. And he said again, I stayed a couple of days at Genoa, and some days at San Remo, and Mentoni. But it is not the least concern of mine where you stayed, is it? she said, with a cold yet disquieted look. Do you speak seriously? Somerset brokenly whispered. Paula concluded her examination of the drawings, and turned from him with sorrowful disregard. He tried no further, but, when she had signified her pleasure on the points submitted, packed up his papers, and rose with the bearing of a man altogether superior to such a class of misfortune as this. Before going, he turned to speak a few words of a general kind to Mr. Power and Charlotte. "'You will not stay and dine with us?' said the former, rather with the air of being unhappily able to do no less than ask the question." My charges here won't go down to the table, don't I fear, but Stancy and myself will be there. Somerset excused himself, and in a few minutes withdrew. At the door he looked round for an instant, and his eyes met Paula's. There was the same miles-off expression in hers that they had worn when he entered, but there was also a look of distressful inquiry, as if she were earnestly expecting him to say something more. This, of course, Somerset did not comprehend. Possibly she was clinging to a hope of some excuse for the message he was supposed to have sent, or for the other and more degrading matter. Anyhow, Somerset only bowed and went away. A moment after he had gone, Paula, impelled by something or other, crossed the room to the window. In a short time she saw his form in the broad street below, which he traversed obliquely to an opposite corner, his head somewhat bent and his eyes on the ground. Before vanishing into the Ritterstrasse, he turned his head and glanced at the hotel windows as if he knew that she was watching him. Then he disappeared, and the only real sign of emotion betrayed by Paula during the whole episode escaped her at this moment. It was a slight trembling of the lip, and a sigh so slowly breathed that scarce anybody could hear, scarcely even Charlotte, who was reclining on a couch, her face on her hand, and her eyes downcast. Not more than two minutes had elapsed when Mrs Goodman came in with a matter of haste. "'You've returned,' said Mr Power. "'Have you made your purchases?' Without answering, she asked, "'Whom of all people on earth do you think I have met? "'Mr Somerset. Has he been here? "'He passed me almost without speaking.' "'Yes, he's been here,' said Paula. He's on the way from Genoa home and called on business. You will have him here to dinner, of course. I asked him, said Mr. Parr, but he declined. Oh, that's unfortunate. Surely we could get him to come. You would like to have him here, would you not, Paula? No, indeed, I don't want him here, said she. You don't? No, she said sharply. You used to like him well enough, anyhow, bluntly rejoined Mrs. Goodman. Paula sedately, It is a mistake to suppose that I ever particularly liked the gentleman mentioned. Then you are wrong, Mrs. Goodman, it seems, said Mr. Parr. Mrs. Goodman, who had been growing quietly indignant, notwithstanding a vigorous use of her fan, at this said, "Fie, fie, Paula, you did like him. You said to me only a week or two ago that you should not at all object to marry him. It is a mistake, repeated Paula calmly. I meant the other one of the two we were talking about. What, Captain De Stancy? Yes. Knowing this to be a fiction, Mrs. Goodman made no remark, and, hearing a slight noise behind, turned her head. Seeing her aunt's action, Paula also looked round. The door had been left ajar, and de Stancy was standing in the room. The last words of Mrs. Goodman and Paula's reply must have been quite audible to him. They looked at each other much as if they had unexpectedly met at the altar after a momentary start, Paula did not flinch from the position "'into which hurt pride had betrayed her. "'Testancy bowed gracefully, and she merely walked to the furthest window, "'whither he followed her. "'I am eternally grateful to you for vying that I have won favour in your sight at last,' he whispered. "'She acknowledged the remark with a somewhat reserved bearing. "'Really, I don't deserve your gratitude,' she said. "'I did not know you were there.' I know you did not. That's why the avowal is so sweet to me. Can I take you at your word? Yes, I suppose. Then your preference is the greatest honour that has ever fallen to my lot. It is enough? You accept me? As a lover on probation, no more. the conversation being carried on in low tones, Paula's uncle and aunt took it as a hint that their presence could be spared, and severally left the room. The former gladly... The latter with some vexation. Charlotte de Stancy followed. And to what am I indebted for this happy change? inquired de Stancy as soon as they were alone. You shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, she replied brusquely, and with tears in her eyes for one gone. You mistake my motives. I am like a reprieved criminal and can scarcely believe the news. You shouldn't say that to me or I shall begin to think that I have been too kind, she answered some of the archness of her manner returning. Now, I know what you mean to say in answer, but I don't want to hear any more at present. And whatever you do, don't fall into the mistake of supposing I have accepted you in any other sense than the way I say. If you don't like such a limitation, you can go away. I dare say I shall get over it. Go away? Could I go away? But you are beginning to tease and will soon punish me severely. So I will make my escape while all is well. It would be presumptuous to expect more in one day. It would indeed, said Paula, with her eyes on a bunch of flowers. End of Book the Fifth Part Five